right. Good to see all those little ones moving around. A lot of life in this church. Pretty cool. Well, uh, good morning. Happy New Year, everyone. Um, I'm happy that we're together. This is great. Uh, we're, we're starting the new, the new year off well. Um, if you happen not to know it, um, by chance, maybe you're a guest with us. Um, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church. And uh, again, just let me say that I'm very happy to be with you again uh, this morning. And we're going to just uh, keep on moving here. As I've, as I've had the chance to preach now for um, about once a month here, uh, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes. I, did, I looked at this last night, did the math. It's been about a year and a half since we've been in this book. Um, May of 2015, uh, we've been in Ecclesiastes. And we're going to continue on here uh, in Ecclesiastes this morning. Um, as we do, uh, just keep in mind here, it's the new year, of course, so that's a time, again, uh, where we are making resolutions, right? Um, I don't know if you've made some New Year's resolutions or not. Um, I don't typically get into that sort of thing. Um, but why do we do that? Why do we make uh, these New Year's resolutions? And I think there's probably many reasons for that. Probably as many people are here, there's that many reasons why we might uh, make a, a resolutions. But I think, oftentimes... We do that because we feel some sort of a lack in our lives. Some sort of, we're, something's missing. We, we, there's something maybe is, is broken. Something uh, is sort of off. We, we want to fix it. We want to improve it. We want to do better, whatever that might be. Maybe there's some measure of discontent, and we sort of want to address that. Um, something's just maybe not working right in our lives. It, 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 it's just not sort of working out the way we might expect it to, or maybe just the way that we want it to. We want to change that. Maybe we want a new job in the new year. Maybe we want a new body in the new year, whatever that might look like. Maybe there's just, just something, some discontent of sorts. And, and then, you know, as we begin this new year, I think we wonder, uh, we sort of think, how are we going to do that? How are we going to live uh, this life sort of in light of, of some of those, those thoughts? And you might think, you know, what is the best way that we can live sort of in light of 2016 uh, and maybe some of the discontent that we have there and moving into 2017 with maybe hope that we have for that new year to come? And in a way, in a way, um, that, that sort of thinking is sort of a microcosm thought of really what we see in the whole book of Ecclesiastes, in all of, uh, of this book. Throughout Ecclesiastes, the writer is observing all sorts of, of brokenness, of uh, futility, what he calls vanity. He sees it all over the place. He sees it in various, form, uh, various forms. And he sets out throughout the book to, to search through life by wisdom, to search actually to try to understand wisdom itself, try to figure this all out. And he really wants to understand life. He's asking the question, uh, and he says this in chapter 2, he says he wants to see what is good for us to do um, under heaven during the few days that we have in life. How do we live this life well in light of all this vanity that he sees? He knows that life is short. Uh, he wants to know what might be the wisest path for us um, given the, the time that we have. Maybe we might be asking ourselves that. What, as we look into sort of 2017, what might be the wisest path forward for us? Um, well, today we come to the end. Uh, we're coming to the end now. We're going to land the plane here, so to speak, and we're going to uh, finish off uh, the book of Ecclesiastes here in the last couple chapters. And uh, I think what we're going to see in these chapters 
is basically the writer, uh, he's emphasizing, he's basically putting sort of an exclamation point on three major themes that are just recurring or have been recurring uh, throughout the book. Namely, the ideas of vanity, the ideas of wisdom, and this recurring um, or repeated counsel that he gives to simply enjoy life. And with that, I think we're basically going to get Um, What I would say would be a picture of the greatest expression of these things. We'll see the greatest expression of vanity. We'll see the the chief expression of wisdom. And we'll see a really good summary, I think, of of really the heart of that repeated counsel to just enjoy life. Okay, so we'll we'll land the plane here. We'll, we'll, We'll go ahead and read and we'll take a look at these things. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Ecclesiastes if you haven't already. We'll start in chapter 11, and we'll take the, both of these last two chapters. If you happen to not have a Bible and you need one, by the way, you can raise your hand, and uh, we'll make sure you get one. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11, just please pray with me one more time uh, before we read. Lord, thank you for the chance for us to be together now this morning, and I would simply pray that you would tune our hearts to yours. Help us to learn your heart this morning and tune our hearts uh, to yours, to match yours. Uh, Use our time now. Use this reading. Use this message. Use the rest of our service to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Here we go. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them. Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also the, uh, your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the, and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, And those who look through the windows are dimmed. The doors on the street shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and the desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. The mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. 
Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, whether every every secret thing, whether good or evil. All right. Amen. So again, these three major recurring themes in the book, um, they come up here again. Vanity, wisdom, and the counsel uh, that the writer gives to enjoy life. Okay, so let's just look at these things. First of all, then, vanity. Um, Remember, the idea of vanity really throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is a bit elastic. Um, It gets expressed in various ways. And the writer has said, vanity, all is vanity. Meaning that life just overall is relatively fleeting. Life is a vapor. Uh, It's a breath. It's, It's short. It goes by quickly. And meaning, too, that life often seems futile. It often is frustrating. It's often uh, confusing. It, it often seems uh, pointless, seems meaningless oftentimes. It's full of difficulty. Life is messy. Uh, and it just very often doesn't work out the way that we expect it to work out. It certainly um, often does not work out the way that we want it to. And uh, the vanity theme comes up again here in these, chap- excuse me, these chapters. And uh, here it's expressed, I think, in both a measure of uncertainty on the one hand, and certainty on the other hand. So uncertainty here uh, with regard to what the future would hold for us in this life, sort of here and now before we die. But then certainty with regard to death. We simply do not know what the future holds. All we know for certain, really, is that we will all eventually die. So with regard to uncertainty about the future. Um, We see that especially, I think, throughout chapter 11. Uh, If you notice uh, verses 1 through 6 again, um, we won't go into great great detail here in in most of these verses, but um, that section, verses 1 through 6, some debate here about the significance of these verses, but my take on it is that these verses all uh, basically have to do with thinking and acting wisely, with our finances in mind probably, in light of the fact that the future is uncertain. We don't know uh, exactly what's going to happen, so the the writer says, essentially, diversify your investments. That's really the the gist of it. Diversify your investments. We might say, uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So thinking sort of along financial matters, uh, but also not just with investments, but really with Um, sort of our work life in general. I think the thrust of these verses is essentially saying to work hard, uh, keep on working in different ways, uh, give yourself to different ventures, because we can't know for certain the future. We don't know ultimately what's going to pay off or not. The future is uncertain. The future is uncertain generally, um, but it's especially uncertain uh, 
again, with regard to the sort of near future, but it's especially uncertain as to when we will actually die. And this really is the greatest expression of vanity in Ecclesiastes. Uh, That is, that it is certain that, in fact, we all will die. And that is the most frustrating, it's the most perplexing expression of vanity for the writer throughout the book. Uh, It's that great or small, uh, righteous, unrighteous, uh, somebody with a generally happy and healthy life, somebody with a, a generally sick and sad life, doesn't matter, all die. Doesn't matter, every one of us will die. And none of us has any control over that, just whatsoever. Verse 8 again mentions the days of darkness. That's a reference to aging and to death. Um, Chapter 12, verse 2 again, says there that the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. That's also referring to, again, to this aging process and death. And really then, uh, chapter 12, really, really from verse 2 all the way down through verse 7, all of those verses are essentially just one big sort of extended metaphor or a, a, an analogy of sorts, basically depicting the aging process with the, the, the body getting weaker and breaking down um, in different ways, and then eventually uh, death itself. And the point uh, of, of the writer in, in that section really is to basically emphasize again, to sort of put this exclamation point on the vanity of the fact that we will all die. That expression of vanity. We don't know when we'll die, but we will die. Now that was never supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Um, chapter 11 verse 5 says that God makes everything That includes humans, starting with little babies in the womb. Uh, And then Genesis uh, 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, verse 7. This is the creation of the first humans. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And and the man became a living creature. And and so humanity was created. And and, and humanity was created to live and to live on and to live on and to live on. But then... When the first humans sinned against God, God cursed them and all of humanity then eventual, uh, with eventual death. And so Genesis 3.19, we see that uh, in Genesis 3.19, God said, Out of the dust you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the writer uh, probably has that in mind here in, in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 7, again, he says, The dust returns to the earth as it was. And the Spirit returns to God who gave it. That's death. And I think that's the chief expression of vanity in the writer's mind. It's essentially a reversal of creation. It's a decreation, we we might say. Returning to the dust and the, the breath of life being pulled out of our bodies. It's the exact opposite of creation. The exact opposite of the way God created the first humans. And that's just the vanity of all vanities in Ecclesiastes. It's not supposed to be this way. In fact, the the Bible calls death an enemy. Death is an enemy. And And it feels that way. And it should feel that way. It's not supposed to be this way. We weren't created to die. But we will die. And so that hints, I think, at the, at the counsel that the writer gave back in chapter 7, um, at uh, chapter 7, verse 2, 
He said, death is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. The living will lay it to heart. We will, we will consider death. We'll, we'll consider, and, and, it, and it really begs the question then, are we ready to die? Are you ready to uh, meet your maker, as the, the saying goes? Sounds like a, a sort of a strange New Year's resolution, but um, I think we should consider this. Um, in 2017, consider death. Consider, are you ready to die? You could die in 2017. Are you ready for that? Are we, are we ready for that? Be ready for that in 2017. We will all die. Hopefully not in 2017, but we, we will eventually die. And that is the vanity of all vanities for, for the writer. And with that, uh, the writer also uh, he stresses here the uh, uh, wisdom and, and what I would say is the greatest expression of wisdom, the, the wisdom of all wisdom. If, if death is sort of the vanity of all vanities, here he goes into uh, help us to know what is the wisdom of all wisdom. Uh, he's been concerned with wisdom throughout the book thus far. Uh, wisdom has been described at different points in, in the book. He's, he's contrasted wisdom and wise action with foolishness, with folly. Um, we've seen examples of that. And now we get to the summit. Now we come to the end and we see the greatest possible expression of wisdom. And that is the fear of God. The greatest possible expression of wisdom is to fear God. Chapter 12 Verse 13 again, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. Here, here is the, the wisest of all wisdom. It is to fear God. And that gels perfectly with what we know, uh, know of this from other parts of the Bible, um, especially other uh, books that are in the, the wisdom genre here like Ecclesiastes. So Job, for example... Job 28, 28 says directly, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Or Proverbs 9, 10 puts it plainly, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we see this idea of the fear of the Lord really all throughout Scripture. Um, but I, I, I think it, it, um, it's easily misunderstood, this idea of the fear of the Lord. So just generally speaking here, what is it to fear God? What does this mean? Well, it's, it's, a, it's an idea that's got a lot of angles to it. Um, there's a lot of sides to it. We could say a lot of different things about what this means to fear God. I would emphasize a couple things uh, trying to flesh this out. First of all, just generally to fear God, it means simply to just to revere Him, to stand in awe of God. But to stand in awe of him, especially because of what the Bible calls his steadfast love. When we consider all of God, all of who God is and what he does, we stand in awe of him, especially in awe of what the Bible calls his steadfast love. So uh, Psalm 33 helps to connect these things. Psalm 33 verse 8 says, let, the, let, the earth, uh, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So you see that, that connection there? Um, 
the, you see the second part of the verse sort of helps to build out the first part of the verse. So, so, so let all the earth fear the Lord. In other words, that is to say, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Fearing God, standing in awe of God. And then you couple that with Psalm 33, verse 18. 33, 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. So you see the connection there. The people who fear the Lord are the same ones who hope in his steadfast love. So you put these things together, you get a sense of what it means generally to fear God. And again, it is to stand in awe of him. It's to just simply be amazed by him. It's to be thrilled uh, by him. It's to stand in wonder and hope with regard to who he is and what he does, especially with regard to his steadfast love. God's steadfast love. This is a huge theme in Scripture. God's steadfast love. That's God's covenant love. It's his committed love. It's his guaranteed favor to secure those, of, of those who are his people, to secure them to always and forever be his people. We could say that it's, it's uh, God's sort of uh, family-binding love, we might say. In other words, it, it's a love that that guarantees that for those that he chooses to be in his family, he will go to any length to bring them into his family and then to keep them in his family. There is nothing in God's steadfast love. That can, not, nothing can break that grip of God's steadfast love for his people in his family. And this is precisely what God has done through Jesus for anyone who will trust him for that. This is amazing. God went so far as to die. He'll go to any length. And he went so far as to die in Jesus in order to bear the death penalty for the sin that we deserve and then to rise up from the dead to, to guarantee the forgiveness of our sin and to guarantee security in God's family forever. And that is for everyone. It's for anyone who will turn from sin and trust Jesus for that. If we're, if we're believing Jesus for this, the, then the Bible says that we're united to Jesus by faith. We are the objects of God's steadfast love. That's ours in Jesus. God's steadfast love. And so when you, uh, when you read your Bibles and you, and you read the fear of God or fear God, you see it all over the place. Think awe. Think wonder at, at God's incredible love and grace. Think hope. Think hope that God guarantees to secure his people forever in Jesus. That's the fear of God. That's fear of God. And again, the writer is, is, is pushing us to, to this summit here in the book where he's highlighting that. He's highlighting, highlighting that the wisest of all wisdom would be that we fear God. And, uh, and as, we, as we hold that fear in our hearts or that, that awe we hold that in our hearts. We hold that hope in our hearts. That, that, will, that will work itself out practically in our conduct in obedience. Obedience to God's commands. So uh, chapter 12, verse 1 again. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator. That's figurative language there. And uh, it means essentially to obey God means to remember God. That means to obey God and to acknowledge his lordship over your life. That's what that means in that context there, to remember your creator. 
And then 12, uh, verse 13, again, fear God and keep his commandments. So remember God, fear God, keep his commandments. These are all part and parcel of one another. And uh, Jesus said something very similar, actually. I think it helps to... uh, It helps to hear Jesus say this. It helps to connect again, I think, this idea of fearing God on the one hand and this idea of loving uh, or of love. So in in John uh, chapter 14, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Uh, Or in John 14, 31, Jesus himself says, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world would know that I love the Father. So even Jesus himself says, I will show you my love for God by obeying God's commands. And so again, just to see that that sort of that connection between love and obedience, um, if if loving Jesus is displayed in obedience to him, and, and fearing God is displayed in obedience to him, well, then these two things, love and fear of God, these things are intimately connected. Uh, maybe at some, leave it, at some level, maybe even interchangeable, to, to where to, to fear God is to love God, to love God is to fear God. So let's not be sort of um, confused about what we're talking about when the Bible speaks of fearing God. And, and the, the, the greatest of wisdom here is expressed in fearing God. And then that's practically displayed in keeping God's commands, which is itself a proof of our love. It's our love language, uh, we might say. It's how we say to God, I love you. It's, we, we do that as we obey his, his commands. Um, and so with all of this in mind, uh, the vanity of uncertainty about the future, um, the certainty of death, the, the wisdom of fearing God and keeping his commandments, with all of this in mind, how do we live in light of these things? Right, maybe, you know, we could say that. Maybe in light of these things, how do we live in 2017? What's that going to look like for us? And again, I think the answer to that question really is a major theme running throughout Ecclesiastes. And again, that counsel, essentially, that the writer gives, enjoy it. 2017, life, enjoy it. Uh, In some way or another, uh, at many points throughout the book, essentially the writer says, enjoy it, enjoy life. He brings this up in half of the chapters, in six of the 12 chapters of the book. He he brings this up in some way, shape, or form. Enjoy life. Make the most of whatever your situation may be uh, in life. Again, enjoy 2017. Right? How's that for a New Year's resolution? Enjoy 2017. That's my resolution. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy the year. Uh, And enjoy every year after that that the Lord would give you. God gives us our life. Enjoy it. Choose to look to whatever is is good, whatever good that there might be in whatever circumstance you may be in, and choose to dwell on that good. Choose to enjoy God's good gifts of work and of marriage and and food and drink and rest. And I think... um, in chapter 11, verse 9, 11, verse 9, I think really that is a great summary expression of sort of the meat of the nut, sort of the, the heart of that counsel that, that gets repeated in some form or another throughout the book. So verse 9 again, 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. 
Rejoice. Let your heart cheer you. Walk in the ways of your heart. Uh, In other words, uh, this sounds crazy, but follow the impulses of your heart. Follow your desires. What do you want to do? Go do it. Essentially, the writer is saying, and I think we see this basically throughout chapter 11. Uh, You see it in different ways. He's saying basically pursue a happy and a healthy life. Step out, take risks, be bold, work hard to do what you can to secure a peaceful, happy, healthy life. Maybe thinking financially, be wise in your finances so that you can um, sort of get financially stable. Um, Do what you can to keep your body healthy for as long as you can. Um, We're another year older now, right? New year, it's another year. We've aged a little bit. We're going to keep aging. We're always aging. And uh, boy, the future might be uncertain in many respects, but we know that we will age and we know that we will die. And so take advantage of life while we can. And, and, and with verse 9, rejoice. Let your heart cheer you. Uh, walk in the ways of your heart. And do that not in a sort of selfish, uh, sort of mindless self-indulgence, right? But, but the writer says here plainly, verse 9, do that again knowing that God will bring you into judgment. Or with 12, or chapter 12, verse 14 again, knowing that God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the fact is that a time is coming when every thought of ours, every word of ours, Jesus speaks of every careless word of ours being judged, every thought, word, and deed will be judged by God. So Do our thoughts, do our words, do our deeds, do they line up with God's heart as we are following our hearts? Do our hearts line up with God's heart? Do our hearts line up with God's values, with his designs, with his direct commands? Just to name a few, God commands us to love him. God commands us to love one another. God commands us to make disciples. And God commands us to enjoy life along the way. So so how does your heart sort of track with those commands, for example? So yes, follow your heart, we might say, but use discretion. Okay? Use wisdom. Uh, Be wise. Diversify your investments. Work hard to enjoy life. But be governed by discretion. Right? Do all of that in accord with God's good designs for you, God's good designs for, your, uh, for the gifts that he gives you. So, man, enjoy the drink that he gives you. Enjoy the food that he gives you. Enjoy the, the, the work that he gives you. Enjoy the sex that he gives you. Enjoy the rest and the relaxation that he gives you and the recreation that he gives you. Enjoy all of these things, but enjoy them as God designed them to be enjoyed. So, enjoy a glass of wine, for example, don't get drunk. Enjoy vacation. Man, go on vacation. Just don't stay on vacation. Come back to work. Right? We weren't meant to live on, we were meant to work, not be on vacation. So take a vacation. Take a break. Come back and get to work. So, boy, we're thinking, living this way with, a, with sort of an uncertain future at one level. The future might be uncertain, but man, God is not uncertain. God is very certain. God is the maker of all things. 
Uh, we see that in chapter 11, verse 5. So he's sovereign over all. That's certain. God is our creator. We see that in chapter 12, verse 1. And so he owns everything. He owns us. He has total rights over our lives. That's certain. God is our judge. We see that in 11, verse 9, and then again in 12, 14. So he's the final and the ultimate authority uh, over our lives. He's the ultimate arbiter of, of what's good and evil. That's certain. Death is certain. So in light of those things, in light of that reality, man, in this new year, in this, this life on ahead of us, man, be bold, take risks, uh, walk in the ways of your heart in the time that you have with discretion, tempered by God's heart. We, we, we temper our heart's desires by God's heart, God's values, God's designs, God's purposes, his plans, God's specific commands. That's, that's the heart of uh, chapter 11, verse 9, I think, which, again, I think is one way uh, that the writer sort of sums up, or, or we can use it to sort of sum up uh, really the, the heart of this command or this counsel that we, excuse me, that we see uh, recurring throughout Ecclesiastes, which is essentially to enjoy life. So think of it like a river, maybe. Uh, think of a river, water flowing free. Uh, man, sometimes that water is, is just roaring class five rapids. Sometimes that's, that water is very quiet. It's very calm, flat water. Sometimes the, it spins off into an eddy over here. Sometimes the river might spin off into sort of a tranquil just pool over in this area. Sometimes it's trickling. Sometimes it's just raging fast. But all the time, man, this river is flowing free. This river is just flying, flowing, running free within its banks, right? Within the banks of the river. And when it floods, right, it destroys things. It's not good for a river to flood its banks. And so the counsel here essentially is be that river. Be that free-flowing river. Just flow as you will, whether fast, slow, uh, wide, narrow, you know, whatever, but flow free inside the banks, inside the banks of God's heart, we might say, the banks of God's values and his designs and his purposes and his commands. And I believe the that this is saying here that, man, if we do that, then that will be the most flourishing, happy, healthy life for us and for those around us. I think that's the gist of verse 9. And again, I think that's a, a, a very good summary just of really this heart of that repeated counsel throughout Ecclesiastes to enjoy life despite the vanity that's all the way around us. And again, as we do that, we enjoy life. We, we, we do all of life mindful, mindful of God's judgment, of the, of the banks of God's heart, mindful of his judgment. Now, thinking about God's judgment here uh, for a, a little bit, man, thinking about God's judgment, that can feel heavy. Um, and I think the writer, man, he closes out the book here, um, I think intentionally with a bit of a warning in there, the last verse of the book. I think he intends that as a bit of a warning for us so it can feel heavy. Um, we're, we're told that God will judge our every thought, word, and deed. And so, man, if you're not trusting in Jesus, um, this should feel especially heavy for you. It should be may, maybe the Lord would use this a bit of a wake-up call for you today. May, maybe, um, maybe you're sort of sitting on the fence with this whole Jesus thing. Uh, may, or, or maybe you... Uh, 
you know, you, you join here on Sunday mornings occasionally, or maybe you join other churches on Sunday mornings occasionally, and maybe that's sort of your sense of, of Christianity, that's your sense of following Jesus or religion sort of generally. But man, if you're not remembering your Creator, as, as the writer says here, in other words, obeying Him, sort of acknowledging His Lordship over your life, man, then the idea of judgment really should feel especially heavy. Uh, whether that's for you or as you might think of others that might be in that camp. But thinking of God's judgment, man, if God is our Father, if God is our Father, if we are objects of God's steadfast love, if we are united to Jesus by faith, if that's you, well, man, then the idea of God's judgment, well, it, it should certainly be sobering. I think, I think that, that, that God would intend that. It should get our attention. Um, it helps us to remember, after all, that God is not sort of, big, uh, sort of a big cosmic teddy bear, uh, but he is, after all, the, the creator and the, 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 the sovereign king over the entire universe. Um, God's warning of God's judgment here helps us to keep that in mind. Um, but again, he's also our father because of Jesus. God is our father because of Jesus. And so, if that's true for you, then ultimately... God's judgment is not the same as condemnation, right? God's judgment does not have to mean condemnation. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. And I, um, I said this earlier. I'm going to say it again. Man, in, in God's steadfast love for his people, God went so far as to become a man in Jesus and die and to do that in order to have lived this perfect life that we could never live on our own, and then to bear this death penalty for sin that we all deserve and could never bear on our own, and then rise up from the dead to guarantee the forgiveness of our sin, to guarantee a place in God's family forever. And manna is for everyone who will trust in, uh, turn away from their sin, who trust in Jesus for, for that, excuse me, uh, and man, if we're believing in Jesus for this, then the Bible says that we are united to Jesus by faith. And then for us, Romans 8.1, great promise. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, think about just hanging that promise over your 2017. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if no condemnation at judgment, well then what? Well, instead of condemnation then, which we absolutely deserve, instead of condemnation for, sort of for our record of sin, well then God instead credits Jesus, he credits Jesus' perfect record, his perfect, sinless, uh, always fearing God and always keeping his commandments life. We get that credited to us. And we get the promise then that, that, that one day also, like Jesus, we're going to rise up from the dead. We're going to enjoy new creation with him, with his people forever. So, so the, the vanity of decreation gives way to recreation in Jesus and ultimately then to new creation, where there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more injustice, no more aging, no more death, just I mean, you name it, any expression of vanity, especially death, not a shred of vanity to be found anywhere. And in that way, then, God's judgment, actually, at one level, I'd say it's incredibly good news. Sobering news, yes, but man, incredibly good news. 
God's judgment, that God will judge, is such good news. It's good news because it, it means that one day, finally and forever, God will set everything right. Everything will, work, will be worked out. God's, God's judgment means that, that, that one day all the broken, all the, the futile, all the vain effects of sin, all the causes of sin, all of this will be dealt with in perfect justice. I think, man, I think that is really good news for a broken world or, or, or a world that seems broken in so many places, uh, full of vanity in so many places. So however uh, you might be thinking about the new year ahead, um, however you might think about any New Year's resolutions or uh, whatever your resolution, resolutions might be for the new year here, just be reminded today. Here, the end of the matter. The final word here after a year and a half in Ecclesiastes. Just be reminded. Be real about this new year ahead of you. Be real about all of life ahead of you. That is to say, see that, yeah, there's vanity all over the place. In us, all over the place. There's futility. There's brokenness. There's messiness all over the place. Life is short. It's often very difficult. Be real about that. And eventually, we all need to face the fact of death. Be real about that. And then from now until then, walk in wisdom. Fear God. That is, stand in awe of God, hope in God's steadfast love for us in Jesus, and obey him. Be, be that, that river that's flowing free, just enjoying all of God's good gifts inside the banks of that, that, that the, the banks of God's heart. Do that. Um, uh, the heart of his, of, of his designs, the heart of his specific commands, those banks, especially those commands um, that I mentioned earlier. Love him. Love God. That's a command of, of God. Love one another as God commands. Make disciples as God commands. And didn't do all that, again, enjoying God's good gifts along the way. And man, as you do that, really look forward with awe, with hope in God's coming judgment, when, when everything is going to be set right for us in Christ, and everything will be set right, really, in the entire universe. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the chance to have stepped through a couple of your chapters here. Uh, I know it was a sort of a high flyover to end this series in Ecclesiastes, um, but I would just pray again, uh, as I did at the start, that you would simply tune our hearts to meet yours. We want to know your heart better, and we want our hearts to be tuned to that, the same, the same vibe, the same frequency. And so do that, Lord, um, with this message, with the prayers, with the songs we've sung, with the scriptures we've read. Do that, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.